You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. ...by Various. Terrors Unseen by Harl Vincent, Part B. There now, see? Shelton's voice rose excitedly. It's been no fault of mine. The power is off, but it moves. It moves. What on earth do you suppose? Eddie's shout interrupted him. He had seen something at the window. A face pressed against the pane and contorted with unutterable malice. Then it was gone. With a shout of warning still in his throat, Eddie bounded through the door in pursuit of the intruder. Lena's cry of recognition followed him into the night. Carlos! she had called. He saw a stocky figure slink around the corner of the laboratory and make for the underbrush beyond. In a flash, he was after him. No, he thought grimly. Shelton hadn't any enemy clever enough to duplicate his transmitter. The hell he didn't. Who the devil was this fellow Carlos anyway? He tore savagely at the impeding branches as he plunged deeper and deeper into the thicket. It was a fruitless chase, and Eddie soon retraced his steps to the laboratory. Swell mess he'd gotten himself into. His car was gone, probably wrapped around a tree by this time, and here was a situation that spelled real danger a thing with which Shelton was utterly unable to cope. As a matter of fact, he was so impractical, such a visionary cuss, after the fashion of all geniuses, that he'd never be convinced of the seriousness of the matter until it was too late. What to do? Girl was a corker, though, and game as they made him. Just the sort a fellow could tie to. Lena's firm, clear voice came to him through the open door of the laboratory. Dad, she was saying, why don't you give it up? Let's go back to New York, where it is safe for you and for me. Let the things go and forget about them. What do they amount to, after all? We've plenty of money, and you already have earned enough fame to last the rest of your life. Come on now, please, for me. What do they amount to? Shelton reiterated, his voice rising querulously. Lena, it's the most tremendous thing I've ever done. Think for a moment of what my robots could accomplish in the next war. And there'll be a next war as sure as you're alive. Think of it. No sending of our young manhood into the bloody fields of battle. No manning of our air fleets with the cream of our youth. No bloodshed on our side whatsoever. Instead, these robots will fight the war. They'll fight other robots, too, no doubt. But the property of invisibility will be an invincible weapon. It will be a war that will end war once and for all. You can't... Nonsense, father, the girl returned sharply. You've let your enthusiasm run away with your judgment. See what's happened already? Someone's figured it out before you've even perfected the thing. An enemy of our country could do the same in wartime. Maybe it's a foreign spy who has done what's been done today. Eddie walked into the laboratory. Couldn't find him, he announced briefly. No difference, said Shelton. He doesn't count in this. We called to you when you rushed out, but couldn't make you hear. Who is he? Eddie asked shortly. What he had overheard made him more than ever impatient with the old man. So clever and yet so dense, Shelton was. Lena avoided his gaze. Only Carlos, Carlos Savarino, said Shelton carelessly. A Chilean, I think. He worked for me for two months during the summer, and I fired him for getting fresh with Lena. Good mechanic, but dumb as an ox. Had to tell him every little detail when he was doing something in the shop. I'd have saved time if I'd done it myself. The girl looked at Eddie squarely now. She was flushing hotly. And I horsewhipped him, she added. Yes, Shelton laughed. 
It was rich. He sneaked away like a whipped puppy, and this is the first time we've seen him since. Eddie whistled. And you think he doesn't count in this, he asked? Of course not. Too dumb, I tell you. Doesn't know the first principles of science. He thinks the only wave motion is that of the ocean. Shelton chuckled over his own jest. I wouldn't be so sure, Eddie snapped, and I want to tell you something, Mr. Shelton. Through no fault of my own, I heard some of your conversation with Lit with your daughter before I returned here. I was puzzled over your reasons for working so absorbedly on this thing, but now I know them, and I think you're wasting your time and keeping your daughter in needless danger. You dare talk to me like this? Shelton roared. I do, sir, and you'll thank me later. Eddie returned the older man's glare with one equally savage. Lena's gurgle of laughter broke the tension. He's right, Dad, and you know it, she interposed. Let him finish. Eddie needed no such encouragement, though it warmed his heart, and Shelton listened respectfully when he continued, I'm into this now, sir, and I intend to see it through to the end. I'll keep your secret, too, though I'll doubt if it'll ever be as much value to you. Know what I think? I think this Carlos is a damn clever fellow instead of the ass you took him to be. He probably just pretended he was ignorant of science. Why shouldn't he? That way he got a liberal education from you in the very things he wanted to find out. Since you tied the can to him, he's had plenty of chances to build a duplicate of your control apparatus, with the aid of some foreign government, no doubt, and now they've stolen two of your machines to complete the job. Your secret already is out, and in the very hands you've tried to keep it from. Shelton paled visibly as Eddie talked. But, but how, he stammered. How should I know how they did it, the younger man countered. Here, let's take a look around. I bet they left their trail right here in this room. He walked from one end of the laboratory to the other, peering into corners and under workbenches as he passed. Shelton trailed him like a shadow, squinting through the square lenses of his spectacles. They carefully avoided the partially invisible robot, for the humming of its upper motors continued, and clanking sounds occasionally issued from the unseen upper portion. The enemies of David Shelton were still at work on their hidden controls. Here, what's this? Eddie exclaimed suddenly, pointing out a glinting object in a dark corner of the laboratory. Shelton examined it closely, looking over his shoulder. The object he had located seemed to be a mounted and hooded lens, a highly polished glass of about two inches diameter, with its mounting attached rigidly to the wall. Never saw that before, Shelton stated with conviction, and why, it looks like an objective, such as those used in the latest automatic television transmitters. Just what it is, Eddie grunted. He picked up a pinch bar from a nearby tool rack and drove its end through the glass as he spoke the words. A violent wrench tore the thing loose and broke away a section of the thin plastered wall. There, in the cleverly concealed cavity behind, was revealed the mechanism of the radio eye. Somewhere, someone had been watching their every move, and abruptly the thrashings of the robot ceased, and its upper portion became visible again. Well, said David Shelton, well, looks as if you're right, young man. I'm astonished. His watery eyes looked sheepishly over the rims of his glasses. Lena watched their every move. She seemed to sense the seriousness of the situation far more than did her father. Then the lights went out. It had darkened a night outside, and the blackness and silence in the laboratory was like that of a tomb. They've cut the wires, Eddie whispered hoarsely. Got any weapons here, Shelton? Yes, 
A couple of automatics. I'll get them. The scientist was no coward anyway. His whispered words came calmly through the silence. Eddie heard him shuffle a few steps and fumble with a drawer of the desk. In a moment, the cold, hard butt of a pistol was thrust into his hand. It had a comforting feel. Stay here with Lena, he commanded. I'll go out and see if I can find them. This looks nasty to me. No, came the girl's voice. I'm going too. You are not, Eddie hissed. You'll stay here or I'll know the reason. It's dark as a pocket outside and my eyes are as good as theirs. I'll get them if they're around here. You hear me? Yes, she whispered meekly. Edward Vale, only that morning headed for rest and quiet, was now out in the night stalking an unknown and vicious enemy. And for what? As he asked himself the question, the smile of Lena seemed to answer him from the blackness. Cherche la femme. He was getting dotty as he neared his thirties. Maybe it was the hard work that had affected his mind. The black hulk of the old house loomed against the scarcely less dark sky. There was no moon, and only in one tiny portion of the heavens were the stars visible. Mighty few of them at that. The swish-swish of the surf came to his ears faintly. Or was it someone creeping along the wall of the house? He held his breath and waited. They wouldn't use the robots at night, couldn't follow their movements in the teleview, if such an attachment had been built into their control transmitter. No, the devils would be here in person. A muttered Teutonic curse sounded close at hand. That wouldn't be Carlos. God, were the Heinies mixed up in this thing? Just like them to be swiping a new war machine, but hadn't they got enough in 1944? Without warning, he was catapulted from his feet by the impact of a heavy body. He struck the ground so violently that the pistol was jarred from his hand, disarmed before the fight had started. Then he was rolling over and over, battling desperately with an assailant who was much larger and heavier than himself. He was dazed and weakened from his initial dive to the hard ground. All rules of boxing and wrestling were forgotten. Biting, kicking, gouging, all were the same to this silent and powerful antagonist. It was catch-as-catch-can in the darkness, and mostly the other fellow could and did. He had a grip like the clamp of a robot. Trying to dig out one of his eyes? Eddie saw stars and lashed out with all his might, his flying fist playing a tattoo on the other's ribs. Short arm jabs that brought grunts of agony from his big assailant. Try to blind him, would he? Eddie somehow managed to get on top. His clutching fingers found the other's collar. Then he let loose with terrific rights and lefts that smacked home to head and face. These outlanders didn't like the good old American fist, and Eddie had room to bring them in from way back now. The fellow had ceased struggling, and Eddie's hands were getting slippery. Blood. Must be, for the stuff was warm and sticky. He rested for a moment, breathing heavily. The other was quiet beneath him, knocked cold. He staggered to his feet triumphantly, wondered how many more of them there were. He looked around in the darkness, straining his eyes in vain to purse its thick veil. There was a glimmer of light over there through a window. The laboratory. The light flickered a second and vanished. A cold fear gripped him, and he stumbled through the grounds blindly, finally colliding painfully with a brick wall. He felt his way toward the door, or where he thought it should be. He dared not call out for fear the others would hear. Where was that damn door? He rested again and listened. Not a sound was to be heard from within or without. He clawed his way frantically along the unsympathetic wall. It was a mile wide, that laboratory of Shelton's. Ah, at last. Weakly he staggered within. 
Lena, he whispered. Lena, Shelton. There was no reply. He fumbled for a match. Funny how slowly his mind worked, thoughts coming jerkily like a sound film running at quarter speed. Fingers shaking so he could scarcely strike a light. The flare showed the laboratory empty of human beings. Lena gone. That crazy robot. Quiet now and visible, but grinning at him. Then, darkness. What a headache. Eddie rolled over and groaned. Astounded by the hardness of his bed and the stiffness of his joints, he roused to instant wakefulness, sat up and stared. Where the devil was he? The laboratory. Shelton's. Lena. He jumped to his feet. Dawn was breaking, and its first faint radiance lighted the robot with eerie shifting colors. He berated himself. He'd passed out. He dashed through the door and made a wild circuit of the grounds. Empty. No, there was his automatic where it had fallen. Bloodstains on the grass showed where the encounter had taken place last night. Must have smashed the Dutchman's nose. But he was gone. Everybody was gone. He rushed into the house, and from room to room, upstairs and down, the place was deserted. This was something to think about. Not an automobile around, no neighbors, not even a telephone. When Shelton went into seclusion, he did it thoroughly. Eddie returned to the laboratory and hunched himself in the scientist's chair. Maybe he could think better there. They had Shelton and his daughter all right, kidnapped him. There was probably some detail of his discovery they couldn't dope out, and had decided to force him into telling them. The devils would use Lena's safety as a threat to force him into anything. Horrible, he thought, and Carlos already had made advances to her. Startled by a sharp click, he turned around. The robot was whirring into life. Fast workers, whoever Shelton's enemies were, and up early. He found the pinch bar with which he had wrecked the television apparatus, and with a few mighty blows, destroyed the antenna and headpiece of the mechanical man. They'd not pull off any devilment with this one, anyway. A wave meter on one of the benches attracted his attention, and he twirled its knob. It gave a strong indication at one and a half meters. The wavelength of their control transmitter. If only he could find... There it was, a direction finder. Hastily, he lighted its tubes and tuned to the frequency shown by the meter. He rotated the loop over the compass dial and carefully noted maximum and minimum signals. He had a line on the transmitter, and it must be close by, for the intensity of the carrier wave was tremendous. Slipping the automatic into his pocket, he left the laboratory and struck out through the underbrush in the direction Carlos had taken the day before. Fighting his way through the tangled shrubbery, he kept his eyes constantly on the needle of the magnetic compass he had wrenched from the direction finder. It was tough going through the thicket, and just as bad across a swampy clearing where he was mired to the knees before he got across. Up the hill and into the woods he forged, keeping doggedly to the direction he had determined. This was rough country, less than a hundred miles from New York, but uncultivated and unsettled, excepting for the few summer places along the shore. He'd heard that these backwoods were infested with rum runners and hijackers, a cutthroat gang. There was a cabin off there through the trees, almost on the line he was following. Must be what he was looking for. He advanced cautiously, creeping stealthily from tree to tree. Voices came to his ears, and the throb of a motor generator. It was the place, all right. He crept closer, and, circling the house, saw that an almost impassable road led to it from the rear. A heavy limousine was parked there in the trees, and another car, 
a yellow roadster, his own. A feeling of grim satisfaction was quickly dispelled by the sound of a familiar humming. Within a foot of his ear, it seemed to be, and instinctively he ducked. Click! A powerful clamp had fastened itself to his wrist, one of Shelton's invisible robots. He struck blindly at the unseen monster and was rewarded by a shooting pain up his wrist as one of his knuckles was driven backward by the impact with the hard metal. Bands of writhing metal encompassed his body, pinning his arms to his side and lifting him bodily from the ground. There he hung, kicking and struggling in midair, supported by nothing he could see. He closed his eyes and felt of the thing that held him. Cold, hard metal it was, implacable and unyielding. Clank, clank. The monster was walking with long, jerky strides. The pressure against his ribs brought a gasp of agony from his lips. Each jarring step was an individual and excruciating torture. His breath was cut off by the relentless constriction of one of the tentacles which now encircled his neck. It wouldn't be long now. Then, when everything had turned black and he had given up hope, he was dumped unceremoniously on the hard floor of the cabin. A harsh laugh greeted him as he struggled weakly to his feet. "'Thought you could put one over on Alcadorna, did you?' a voice rasped. The room spun round as he tried to regain his feet. A mist swam before his eyes. Alcadorna? The most picturesque figure in gangland. Credited with a dozen killings and with ill-gotten wealth untold, this leader of the underworld openly boasted that the police had never gotten anything on him, and they hadn't. So it was a criminal who had laid hands on Shelton's robots, not a foreign spy. Worse and worse, he thought of what they might be able to do with these invisible mechanical things, make gunmen out of them, safe-blowers, housebreakers. Why, society would be at their mercy, banks defenseless, the mints even. Stand up on your pens, you worm. Let's have a look at you. The muzzle of an automatic was thrust in his abdomen, prodding insistently. Things stabilized in the room, and he looked up into the cruelest face he had ever seen, and recognizable from the many pictures which had appeared in the yellow press. Eddie took in the surroundings at a glance. He was in a low-ceilinged room that was almost unfurnished. In one corner there was a replica of Shelton's robot control, teleview disc and all. Carlos had just pulled the switch, and the robot was taking visible form. The man who prodded him with the automatic was Cadorna, no doubt of that. His evil leer and yellow eyes marked him at once. The other occupant of the room was a big, square-built man with a patch over one eye and strips of adhesive tape across his nose, his antagonist of the night before. Must have sneaked off after he came to. It was safer to send one of the robots after the verdamped Americaner. Eddie restrained a chuckle at the thought. Nothing to laugh at, kid, Cadorna snarled. You're going for a nice long ride pretty quick, know that? End of Part 18 Thank you, everyone, for being patient for these these uh, current and upcoming episodes. Uh, had a rash of sickness and uh, family issues currently. And, yeah, so uh, I, I now present you with uh, March and early April on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We would also like to welcome Gretchen Martin uh, to the cast of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. She is 
uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess uh, one of our, our, our other horror movie experts and uh, comics uh, and uh, uh, manga and uh, a lot of uh, other stuff. And yeah, no, no. Uh, so welcome Gretchen and check us out on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos at PGTTCM, PGTTCM.com, at PGTTCM.com. Uh, just search any of those. You'll find us eventually. <laughs> We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, Instagram, and Gretchen's on Gretchen is Weird, I believe, on Instagram. So check her out. Uh, Dave's Corner of the Universe is Dave's website. Uh, he's not linking anything from us to him, but we link to him. So check out his past articles. Give him some love. Maybe he'll write some more stuff. All right. Thank you, everyone. And uh, if you like this show, share it. Let other people know that you like it. Uh, let me know if you like it. Uh, you can contact us at pgttcm at gmail.com. If you S-A-S-E us a envelope, we will send you some stickers or something. And yeah, so thank you. Contact, uh, message me for uh, uh, address. And uh, we'll talk to you in the future and uh keep 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 it weird stay squiggly and uh yeah